to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. A couple of weeks ago I shared about hope, how we need hope to approach the future, how we need hope to go into the future, uh, how we need a positive expectation of for the future in order to meet the future. If you have no hope, then you have nothing helping you to get up out of bed in the morning. But there's a problem too. And all of us have experienced that. Every single one of us have experienced that. If you have hope for the future, if you have a positive expectation, be that for your job situation, you know, to, to learn, to grow, maybe to be promoted, be it personally for your, for you and your character, to grow your character, to become more like Jesus, be it for your family or for your relationships or maybe to get married or something like that, maybe to have children, whatever hope you have, if that hope, for whatever reason, doesn't come to pass the way that you expect it to, it can lead to severe disappointment and discouragement, can't it? And all of us have experienced, all of us have experienced that discouragement of, you know, you're doing your best, but sometimes you just feel like your best isn't good enough. You're trying to do the things that you know you ought to do to grow and to become more like Jesus, to become more competent, to do better. But it just feels like it's not good enough. And, and there, are, there are two kinds of things that discourage us typically. There are, there are the things that we have control over. In other words, usually that's the things, the areas in which we fail. There are th- areas in which we let ourselves down or we let the people around us down and we, we're just not doing good enough uh, for whatever reason. Sometimes it's just you know, because of weakness. Sometimes it's just because of neglect. But all of us ex- have experienced that. That sort of discouragement of things aren't working out right and it's my fault. I could have done something about it. And it's not a nice feeling. It's not a good feeling. Um, and then there are other sort of sources of discouragement, things that we don't have control over. That's usually failure of other people. And it, it, it might be sort of on a macro level, you know, f- the economy of the country is struggling, you know, so inflation is high, you know, it's, they, they thought it would be under 6% and now it's over 6%, everything's getting um, more expensive and you're, you're not quite managing with your budget anymore, you know. It's, you know, the, the finance minister and the president of the country and the parliament who have control over that. I don't have any control over, you know, the decisions that are made. And it's, it's frustrating because you can't do anything about it. Where if you're, if, 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 if the discouragement is because of your failure, then, um, you know, at least you know, okay, it's a problem. I messed up. You know, I can say sorry. It feels bad, but at least you can, often do something about it. But when it's out of your control, you can do nothing about it. You know, it, it, it can just be someone else, you know, that you're in relationship with that, that fails you. It can, 
you know, it can be very uh, discouraging. And, and you, you know what happens with discouragement? You know, it affects everything that you do, everything that you want to do, everything that you know you must do. No, it's, 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 it's like you don't have to do. You don't have the, the oomph, the motivation to do what you want to do and what you know you should do. When you have that discouragement, it's like, like that guy in, in Star, Star Trek always says, I cannot do it, Captain. I haven't got the power. <laughs> you feel like that. I mean, just, just imagine you, you were driving somewhere, you know. Let, let's, Sunette was sharing about um, driving in a car and, 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 you know, a phone battery dying. But imagine she was there and she forgot the lights on, the, car, the car's lights on. And after the function or whatever, she gets back and, and it's not only a phone that's dead. Now, when she turns the keys, go, uh, 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 you know, the car coughs a few times, but nothing happens. There's no, the battery's flat. The battery's dead doesn't want to start. You know, and sometimes in life you feel like that. You feel like your battery is dead, like it's flat. And what, you, what do you need then? What you need is someone else to bring their car with the jumper cables connected to their battery, which is, is fine, and, and connect those jumper cables to your battery and give you a jump start. And that's what encouragement is. Encouragement is like a psychological, spiritual jump start where someone takes, you know, metaphorical jumper cables and connects it to your battery and just, you know, puts on their engine, revs their engine a bit and just gives you that jump start that you need again. And sometimes we all need that. Sometimes we all need that because the reality is life is hard. Life isn't always easy. Sometimes it feels like you're swimming upstream. Sometimes it feels like you're flying against the wind. Now, I know some of you are saying, no, not for me, you know, my life. Well, <laughs> we're all glad for you. We're insanely jealous. But for, for most of us, you know, we, <laughs> you, we experience troubles in our work situation. We experience troubles in our studies. We experience troubles in our relationship. We experience troubles in our personal lives. We experience troubles with ourselves. We don't always perform the way we'd like to. Sometimes we let ourselves down. Sometimes we let each other down. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes we get discouraged. And sometimes, just go on to the, 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 the little picture there. Sometimes you just need to fly in someone else's slipstream for a while. Have you ever seen birds flying in a V formation like that? You know why they do that? Because the birds, the, the, the front bird, you know, does 100% of the work. But a lot of the work that he does creates lift. You know, air lift for the birds flying behind him. And, and they've studied this in quite a lot of detail. And they found that, that birds who fly in this V formation, you know, a, a flock of birds who fly in this V formation can actually fly 71% further than birds who fly by themselves. Because you're feeding off the work that, that you're doing for one another. You're feeding off each other's effort. And that's what encouragement does for us. I, I was uh, in this this week. I was I was um, I actually saw this um, saying. It was painted against a, a wall. It said, "If you if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together." And you see, life is not a sprint. Life is not a sprint. It's not this this quick thing. You know, sub ten seconds done. 
That's not what life is like. Life is a lot more like a marathon. That, that verse that, that young George read in, in, in Hebrews 12, it's a much more like a marathon, like a long-distance runner. It takes time. It's that slow, steady, sometimes slow, steady plodding that eventually gets us there. But here's the thing. If you're going to run a marathon, if you, go, if you want to go far, it's better to go together like those geese. To fly in formation. To fly in someone else's slipstream. To make sure that there are people around you who can actually help you and encourage you when you need it. The right people around you. So, I'm just going to be sharing a little bit about that from Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. Let me just read that to you. It says um, in Hebrews 10, verse, verse 24, And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And, and um, you know, even as young George was reading from from um, Hebrews chapter 12. You know, in, in, in verse 3, it was saying, you know, consider Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners, lest you lose heart, lest you become discouraged. And, and you see the, the, the guys in, in uh, the, the, this Hebrew or, or Jewish Christians that, that the author was writing to, they, they were in a difficult situation. Some of them were failing. Some of them were, were, were deserting the church, some of them were abandoning the church and turning back to Judaism. Some of them were turning their backs on Jesus. And, and some of them, many of them were being persecuted by other Jews because they believed in Jesus. And they were in, in, in grave danger of discouragement and turning away. And that's why the author says to them, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. And I just want to quickly uh, break up, just go to the next slide, break up that, that verse into, into its parts. And firstly it says, um, and let us consider. And, and we're going to see now, when you think about it, that's actually a very interesting and strange. Because he's talking about meeting together, you know, Christians gathering together. So that's actually a very strange place to start. It doesn't talk, uh, start with the gathering. He starts and he says, let us consider. Let us think about. Let us meditate. Let us reflect on. And that is the, the preparation. Let us consider. That's a preparation. And then he says what we must consider. How to provoke one another to love and good deeds. That's provocation. Okay? And then he says, um, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Presence. But encouraging one another, that's also part of the provocation. And then in the last part he says, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Perspective. While you're meeting, there's this, you, you, you meet seeing the day approaching. Now there's a certain perspective that you have when you meet. Okay, so I'm just going to discuss this, these verses under those four endings. Preparation, provocation, presence. Or preparation, presence, provocation, and perspective. Okay, so it's, I'm going to talk about what I call intentional community. Community that has a purpose. And, and to have intentional community, we need those four things. We need preparation. In other words, there's something that you have to do before meeting. You actually have to prepare yourself for meeting. 
Intentional community also needs presence. <laughs> I mean, that's the obvious one. You actually have to have presence at the meeting <laughs> to be able to have community. And, 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 and just by the way, you know, social media isn't real community. I, I, I know, you know, there, there are some of you who, who are still busy discovering this. Um, you know, but, but social media isn't real community. You know, we've all seen that, that ad of, of the guys, you know, coming together, you know, for a, for a drink and they're sitting around the table and they're sort of sitting there and tweeting each other on their, on their phones. And the, and the one guy sort of says, hey, hang on, you know, we're here. Put down the phones. Let's fellowship. Let's have real community. You know, in social media, you're always putting your best foot forward. So no one ever really gets to know the real you. They don't see you on a bad hair day. Wanneer die lekker soos a takbok. They don't see you when you're tired and irritable. They don't see you when you're weak and vulnerable. But without that, without that you cannot have real, genuine, authentic community. If people cannot see you at your best and your worst, you cannot have authentic community. And, and intentional community therefore requires that presence at the meeting, you know, with one another. And then it also requires provocation during the meeting. Okay, we'll talk about um, that, that a, a bit more in detail. And then, like I said, perspective on the meeting. The meeting happens in a, in a certain perspective. And this, this intentional community is the solution to the problem of discouragement that we all face, that we all have to battle with from time to time. Okay, so let's, let's look at those four things. First one, preparation. He says, let us consider. Uh, and, and, and it refers there, according to John Lee, to directing your mind towards and reflecting on something. In fact, let me just read you a few other verses um, where, where that, that same word appears. One of them is in, in, in the book of Hebrews. Thanks, Alex. In, in, um, listen, in Hebrews 3 verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, listen to this, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Consider Jesus. Is that the very same word? When he says, consider how to provoke one another. It's the very same word that he says, you consider Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, like Jan George read in, in, in Hebrews 12. Consider Jesus. Think about him. And what he's saying is Jesus is our example. He's the one that went ahead of us. So let us consider him. Let us, let us think about him. Um, let us meditate on how he did things and be encouraged by that. And then there's another example in, in, in Luke chapter 12. Let me just read verse 24 and 27. Where Jesus says in verse 24, Consider the ravens, the very same word, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And then verse 27 says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed or dressed as one of these. 
So he's saying, consider the birds, consider the lilies, and learn from them. Not, not just notice them, but look at them, observe them, and think deeply about them and the implications of that for our lives. Think deeply about it. And that's what he's saying here. And, and it's interesting that when the author to the Hebrews starts talking about meeting together, gathering together, he doesn't start with a meeting and he doesn't start with a group. He starts with the individual before the meeting. And he says, as individuals before the meeting, prepare for the meeting. Think about the meeting. Consider how you can encourage one another to love and to good works. So in, intentional community starts before the actual meeting. Intentional community starts before you get together. You're already preparing your heart. And, and here's the thing. If you want intentional community, then we must be thinking before the meeting, but we must be thinking of other people, the people that we're going to be meeting with. We're not thinking of ourselves primarily. We're thinking of the people that we're going to be gathering with. You know, what's the, the, the single most um, common excuse I hear for people who don't want to go to small group? You know what the single most common excuse is that I hear? Oh, I don't get so much out of it. It doesn't mean that much to me. It doesn't, you know, I don't get that much out of it. And, and if we think that way, and, and, and sometimes we all do think that way, let's be very honest with ourselves. There's a, a very strong narcissistic self-centered bent in each of us because all of us have a fallen human nature. And even when you save, the old man is still there, you know, trying to you know, lead you in that direction. So we all sometimes think like that. But if we think like that, we can never have the kind of community that the author of the Hebrews is talking about here. You'll never have that kind of community. If you start by thinking of yourself and only the benefit to you, then you'll never be able to have this kind of really deep, meaningful, lasting, upbuilding community that is being spoken about here. So we often start with the wrong thinking by thinking of ourselves. And the, the irony is, the more we think of others, the more we actually benefit ourselves. Remember what I shared a couple of weeks ago? Ministry is not the result of maturity. It's the road to maturity. The more you think of others and minister to others and serve others unselfishly, the more you actually grow. The more you actually benefit from it. Amen? So, there's this preparation. And, and, I, and I really want you to get this because I think this is key. The preparation is key. Because if you do the preparation, you, you will be present. Because if, if, if you are... If you are beforehand thinking and praying about the people that you're going to meet with, and God gives you a word for them, a word of encouragement for them, then you're going to be excited about the meeting. Then you're going to be there, present at the meeting, and you're going to be able to provoke them and encourage them towards love and good deeds, like God commands you. And you're going to be blessed by it. And 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 many of us have already done that, and, and we have been blessed. You know, the... the the most blessed times of fellowship that I experienced was not only the times were not only the times when when I received something and people ministered to me. I mean, those were blessed. 
but as blessed and, and possibly even more blessed was when I gave. When God actually spoke through me to someone else and it just changed their life. You know, it's so encouraging to me when, when say, I, you know, uh, the, the other day I was, um, the, the, someone was visiting from Shofar in Stellenbosch and, um, you know, afterwards I just felt the Lord uh, you know, she was introduced to me by a few friends that, that, that were here as well. And I just felt the Lord wanted us to pray for her. And because God wanted to speak something into her life. And, and I, I remember I, I just said, you know, can we, can we pray for you? And we just gathered around and we laid hands on her and we prayed for her. And God laid, I can't even, I, I honestly cannot remember what I prayed at all. But, you know, afterwards she told a friend who then told me that, you know, it was so spot on and it really encouraged her. And, you know, that blessed me. It's like, wow, you know, God actually uses me, you know. God actually speaks through me, you know. God, God actually blessed someone through me, you know. And, 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 and that's encouraging. It's really encouraging. God doesn't only speak through donkeys. <laughs> he speaks through me too. <laughs> so... And then he says, he goes on, he says, um, not neglecting to gather together as is the habit of some. So, so there must be the, 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 this gathering together, this meeting together must be a habitual thing. Now the, 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 the problem is that both meeting together and neglecting to meet together can become a habit. And, and, and just by the way, I just want to make one thing clear. I'm, I'm not just talking about Sunday services. On, on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. I'm not just talking about small groups on a Wednesday evening. I'm not just talking about Bible school. I, I'm not just talking about official meetings on the church calendar. I'm talking about whenever we as saints come together. Wherever, we, wherever two or three are gathered in His name, there is in our midst. We are the church. We don't come to church. We are the church. We don't come to the house of God. We are the house of God. So wherever we meet together in His name, we are the church. We are the people of God. And it should be intentional community. Whether it's around the Bryflace fire or whether it's to go and watch sport together or you know, whether it's someone who's having a crisis and who's called and, and just says, listen, I, I, need, I need you to come and pray with me. Um. But it, it's a habitual thing. But clearly, the, this gathering that, that the author of the Hebrews is talking about is a, is a re- repeated thing, something that happens over and over again. There's a rhythm to it of, of, of doing it repeatedly. And the reality is, all of us, every single one of us, have reasons in our lives to neglect that, to abandon that, to forsake that. All of us have reasons. We all know, they talk about the tyranny of the urgent. You know, the urgent versus the important. You know, there are so many important things in our life. They're important, but they're not urgent. You know, there are no deadlines to them. Stuff like spending time with, with friends and family. Stuff like spending time with God. Drawing near to Him, reading His Word and praying. Stuff like... Um, planning. I mean, you can do all. You can you can go through your week without planning at all. Your week might be a bit dermakar and, and and messed up, but you can do that. And 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 often we do. 
Because planning is an urgent thing. It's, it's an important thing, but not always an urgent thing. Now, the urgent things are the stuff that there are deadlines for. You know, the phone calls, the, the emails, the, the projects that, that have deadlines, all that kind of stuff. Those are the urgent stuff. And the problem is, and, and often the urgent stuff are people, the stuff that other people consider important and sort of impose on us as, as, as important to them. And they, they're pushing on our button to get it done. And then it becomes urgent to us because it's urgent to them. And, and, and here's the problem. The urgent can often kill and squash the important so that we never get to the important stuff because we're so caught up in this urgency addiction and just, you know, running all the time. And in a, in a fast-paced city, city like Joburg, we're especially in danger of doing that. We have so much on our plates. We're doing so much all the time. There's so much expectation on us. There are so many deadlines. There's so much to do that we can so easily get caught up in doing so many things, so many urgent things, that we never get around to the really important things like this, like gathering together to encourage one another. Um, but, you know, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you'll know that the uh, the rewards of gathering together like this always outweigh the sacrifices. Always. It's always worth it in the end. You know, I, I, when I think about this, this issue, I always think about a, a guy, you know, when, when Rishal and I were pastoring the, the, the Shofar congregation in, in Franschhoek, in the Western Cape, um, there was this uh, gentleman, elderly gentleman, called him Titus Buenzaer. And he played actually for the, not for the Springboks, but when, when, when you know, under apartheid, when, when there was a separation between like the Springboks and, you know, the, the white Springboks and, you know, the Springboks from every other, uh, you know, culture and color. Um, he wasn't allowed to play for the, for the actual Springboks, you know, but he, he played for, for this development Springboks. Um, and he was good. He probably could have played for, for, you know, for, for, for the Springboks and, and got Springboks colors. And then after apartheid, what they did was they, they went back and they said, all of these guys are going to get full Springbok colors. So when Titus got like his Springbok blazer, you know, his, his green blazer, now and then he wore it to church, you know. Um, anyway, he was, a, he was an interesting old man. He'd, he'd had a, um, a stroke as well, so he didn't walk so well. His, his one side of his body wasn't functioning that great. But he, he drove from, from Gundal, where his house was, on his bicycle to, to church. And every single Sunday when Titus was at church, every single Sunday, he would never miss a service. And as he came, you know, <clears throat> week after week, his wife started coming with him. His daughter started coming with him. And, and now almost his whole family is in church, you know, because he's just so faithful and he brought them along. And, and I mean, he had lots of pr troubles in, with his health and, you know, he, he wasn't always the easiest person to get along with, but he was always faithful at church. And um, last year I got a, I got a message. Um, Titus said to his wife, Anna, um, he was feeling a bit bad the Sunday morning. She said, okay, well, stay at home. He said, no. He's not staying at home. He's going to church. He always goes to church. He wants to be with the people of God. And he got on his bicycle and he, and he, and he, and he, and he cycled to church. And that morning in church during the worship, when Titus passed away. And it was so, um, I almost want to say appropriate to me. He so loved 
the people of God. He so loved being with God's people. And it was so appropriate that right there during worship, he breathed his last and he passed away. Gathering with God's people. That's how important it was to him. And, and I think that's how important it should be to us as well. Tony Payne says, none of the important things God has for us to do in church each week can happen if we're not there. Listen carefully to this. None of the important things that God has for us to do each week in church can happen if we're not there. God, us fulfilling our calling, us ministering to others, us loving other people and being loved by them, all of that requires our presence. And that's why the author says, do not neglect, do not abandon, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. But get together to encourage one another. Amen? And, and do it regularly, do it as a habit. So the, the, the third one, the, the first one then was preparation, second one presence. Third one is provocation. We need to provoke one another. Now, here's the thing that all of us know. Encouragement activates us. Discouragement deactivates us. You know, we, we all have a pause button, a mute button, a stop button. And the way to push that stop button is through discouragement. If you want to put someone's life on pause and on hold, you just discourage them and that's like pressing their pause button, their mute button. We've all experienced that. Whereas encouragement activates us. That's the play button. Sometimes it's even the, the fast forward button, you know. You know, you got that extra oomph because you're encouraged. Now, the Bible also recognizes this. I just want to read you, um, you know, in order to, it, it speaks later on of um, provoking one another towards love and good works. And, and I just want you to think about that phrase, love and good works. If you think about it carefully, it covers the entire Christian life. I mean, what is there in the Christian life that is not covered by love and good works? Love is the... The attitude or the motive with which we're supposed to do everything and good works is, the, is what we do. Love is how we do it and why we do it and the good works is what we do. And it's love and good works towards God, drawing near to God. It's love and good works towards the people outside the church, confessing our hope towards them, sharing the gospel with them, serving them in love. And it's love and good works towards one another, encouraging Loving one another, provoking one another towards love and good works, serving one another. And, and in other words, the community in which this happens, this intentional community, is a, is a, I almost want to say transformative community. That's where we change. That's where we become more like Christ. That's where we learn to love more and do more good. It's in a community like this. But here's the thing. Not all, not just any, and not all communities are actually transformative communities. Right? I mean, the Bible even says so. Let me just read you one or two examples. In, um, in the book of Proverbs, let me just find that. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about a trap 
that unfortunately uh, many women and wives are tempted to fall into. In Proverbs 21 verse 9 it says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. And then in verse 19 it says, It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Now I'm not saying that, that women are the only ones who are susceptible to this. Of course men are too. Um, but here's the point. Listen to what it says. It says it's better to live in the desert all alone by yourself than in a house, even a nice house, with a quarrelsome and fretful or contentious woman. In other words, there's a certain kind of community that is actually worse than isolation. Can you see that? He's saying, the, the author of, of this proverb is saying that, that there's a kind of community living together, doing life together, that is actually worse than living in the desert, than living in isolation. You'd be better off if you lived in the desert all by yourself, in isolation. So not all community is good community. Not all community is transformative community that, you know, encourages you. If you live with someone who's quarrelsome, contentious and fretful... It would actually be better for you to live alone. And, and, and that's the challenge. We, we want to create the kind of community in our homes and in, 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 in our families, our biological families, and in our spiritual family as the church, where it is not like that. Now, just think about this. From experience, have you ever seen... Because obviously a quarrelsome wife, uh, a nagging wife, a contentious wife, a fretful wife, she's unhappy about something. Usually she's unhappy about something in her husband's life. Her husband's not doing what, what he's supposed to do. There's something in his life that he needs to grow in, that he needs to change in, that he needs to repent of or improve or something. But have you ever seen husbands changing because their wives nag them for the better? Have you ever seen husbands changing for the better because their wives nag them? Have you ever seen husbands changing for the better because their wives quarrel with them? I haven't. I've counseled many people. I've counseled many couples. I've never seen positive change as a result of quarreling, nagging, and contention. In other words, I've never seen positive change as a result of discouragement. Because that's what all of those things are. Being quarrelsome and contentious, it's all it's discouraging. It presses the pause button in the husband's life. And then actually it, it accomplishes the opposite of what the wife intends. She wants her husband to change, but she does things that makes it so difficult for him to change, that actually prevents him from changing and growing. Because she's discouraging him instead of encouraging him. And you know, we can so often do the same with one another as Christian brothers and sisters. And that is exactly what the author of the Hebrews is saying we should not do. He's saying, don't be a discouraging community. Be an encouraging community. Don't press the, press the pause button in someone's life. Press the play button. Amen? So, when he talks about this, you know, encouraging one another, you know, it's, it's a, he's saying the same thing as provoking one another to, to love and good deeds. You provoke one another to love and good deeds by encouraging one another. The word encouragement there is a bit of a... It's sort of half the meaning of the Greek word, the English word encouragement. It, the other half is to warn. It's the actual, the, a better English translation would be the, 
old English word exhort, exhort one another. But it's an old English word, so most of the modern translations don't use it because most modern English speakers don't know what exhort means. But exhort means two things. It means both warning out of love and encouraging out of love. So it's both those things. And, 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 and in the previous phrase it talks about provoking one another towards love and good works. And, and, and the word provoke there is a very emotionally loaded and charged word. In other places in the Bible and in, in, in ancient um, Greek writing, the same word is used to provoke someone to anger. So it's, it's a very emotional word. So it's, it's not just a pep talk. It's not just getting together and patting one another on the shoulder and giving one another a pep talk and saying, you the man. You know, it's, it's not just that. It's a lot more than that. There's a, there's a you know, it's, it's not just your words encouraging and provoking. It's your life encouraging and provoking, including your words, of course. Including your words. But, but I mean, it's just, for instance, say you've had a bad week. You've really had a tough week. Things were, you know, really unpleasant at work and at home and you're tired and, and you're overworked and you're just, you're just down, you're just discouraged and you walk in here, you know, p- people at work were nasty with you and people at home were nasty with you and you walk in here and you see, let's say Jade is standing, you know, she's on usher duty and she's standing at the door and when she sees you, her face lights up. It's like, hello, it's so good to see you and you can see she's genuinely pleased to see you. She's delighted to see you. I mean, she doesn't really have to say much more. Just the fact that she's so happy to see you makes you feel better, right? So, so the encouragement talking about here is, is a whole life encouragement. It's not just saying nice things to one another. It's really celebrating one another. It's really loving one another. It's really being excited about one another. It's really, you know, spending time with one another, with one another because we care about one another. It's listening to one another's problems because we love one another. We're concerned about one another. All of that is massively encouraging. Um, So, note that our coming together, our meeting together, is not an end in itself. We meet together in order to provoke one another to love and good deeds, to do the right things for the right reasons. That's why we get together. And, and, and that love and good deeds, like I said, is upwards towards God, outwards toward the world, and inwards towards one another. Showing love, doing the right things towards God for the right reason, doing the right things towards people um, who, who are not yet Jesus followers for the right reasons, and doing the right things towards one another, inward, for the right reasons. We, w- we want to encourage and provoke one another to, to, that, um, to that love. And, and, and that is the end. You know, uh, one guy summarized it very nicely for me. Um, he said, and it actually summarizes these couple of verses quite nicely. Because remember, it talks about drawing near to God in verse 22, in, in, in Hebrews 10, verse 22, you know, with, with, in full assurance of faith. It talks about um, confessing our hope because he who promised is faithful. You know, confessing our hope to people outside. You know, giving a reason for the hope that is in us. And then also, you know, considering how we can meet together to provoke one another towards love and good deeds. So there's an upwards, an outwards, and an inward element here. And, and this guy summarized it like this. He says, 
Uh, discipleship is transformation in community for witness and worship. Transformation in community, inward, the meeting together, for witness, outward, and worship, upward. Can you see that? I, I love that little phrase. Transformation in community for witness and worship. That sort of really summarizes it. And that's what we want to provoke one another to. That's what we want to encourage one another to. Is that kind of life. And then perspective. We should view our gathering from an eternal perspective as we see the day approaching. And that day, interestingly enough, is the day on which all the promises of God that we hope for will be fulfilled. Because he who promised is faithful in Hebrews 10 verse 23. That is the day when we will be made perfect in love and good works. Because one of the promises is in 1 John um, chapter 2, the beginning of the chapter, it says, you know, behold what love God has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And we don't know what we will be, but one thing we know, that when we see him, we'll be like him. Do you realize that all of our frustration and our discouragement comes from the fact that we're not yet fully like Jesus? And on that day, that approaching day, all of that will change in a twinkling of an eye. When we made like Jesus, we'll be like him. And all the sin, all the suffering that we're struggling with, all the sadness we experience will be taken away. And all the hardship we went through will be made right. And things will somehow be better for having been lost and broken. And now being found and restored. We will be better. And that is the hope that we have. And it's with that perspective. It's, it's like we're gathering together to encourage in one another what we know will happen that day when Jesus comes. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And we, we're starting to see it in one another already. And we're starting to encourage it prophetically in one another already. And we're starting to celebrate it in one another already. Even before we fully see it in one another's lives. We see each other in light of the day that is approaching. <clears throat> and also, it says all the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, we know Jesus is coming. We know that we only have so much time here on earth to spend with broken people like us to encourage them. In other words, there's an urgency that needs to be there. Because we see what we're doing and why we're we gathering in the light of eternity. There's an urgency. Now that day is coming soon. We need you know, to encourage more and more people. But we don't have infinite time. And then also another interesting thing to note. When it says, um, do not forsake the meeting together. It's an interesting Greek word used um, that comes from, well, that's, that's related to the word synagogue. The word synagogue mean, just means a gathering. So it's ep, ep, uh, episynagogoge. And it's an interesting word because it's exactly the same word. This word that is used for us gathering together is exactly the same word that is used elsewhere in the Bible for Jesus gathering us together on that day when he returns. Let me just read you one example of that. In, in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 1 it says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our... Con th th that our coming to you was not in vain. Sorry, it's 2 Thessalonians 2. 
this one. Uh, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered, that's that same word. It's exactly the same word. Do not neglect the gathering of yourself together. It's exactly the same word. And our being gathered together to him. We ask you, brothers, uh, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. So he's, he's saying here, <clears throat> you know, that, that we being gathered together to one another in the light of the day in which Jesus will gather us together towards himself. And, and, and in our gathering together with one another, we as it were prophetically anticipating the time when Jesus will gather us to himself. I was sitting in worship and in that last song thinking just about the presence of the Lord and how precious it is. And if you are truly a Christian, if you, if you truly have been born again, and God has given you a heart of flesh for a heart of stone and put His Spirit inside of you and written His law in your hearts, then you long for the presence of Jesus. And, 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 and we see Him at this moment in, in, a, in, a, in a glass darkly, in, in, a, in a mirror darkly. We, we don't know Him fully yet. We, we don't yet know Him as He knows us. There's not yet that intimacy that we long for and yearn for. And we're yearning for that day. We're yearning for that day when Jesus will come again and we experience His undiluted presence. Unveiled presence. And what the author of the Hebrews is saying, that very longing is why. If you have that very longing, that is why you also gather together. Because the main way you can experience the presence of Jesus before Jesus is coming, before that day, is amongst His people. Because Jesus is in His people. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And the closest and the clearest and the most intimate contact you can have with Jesus, amongst others, is when you fellowship intimately with His people in whom He lives through His Spirit. And that's why we gather together. Okay, so in conclusion, imagine an ever-growing intentional community that was consistently prepared present and provoking one another to love and good deeds imagine being part of that community and 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 to some extent we certainly are already that community right but i'm sure we can grow in it and i think the one area in which we can grow most is the preparation because if our preparation is better we actually meditate on how to prove beforehand before the meeting on how we can encourage one another to love and good deeds if we meditate on that, then, like I said, we'll be excited to actually be present and we'll be able to provoke. If we're praying beforehand about one another, and we, we're spending time in God's presence and getting His heart, then we'll be able to come to one another and encourage one another. So much more effectively. Now imagine you come to small group or you, you get together with your friends and they've been praying for you. Your friends who know you and they've been praying for you. Thinking about you and how they can encourage you towards love and good works. Think about how, what the growth that that will produce in your life. Imagine being part of a community like that. Imagine getting together and someone new comes into the small group and, and they experience every week someone comes into that small group and has a word for them. 
And people are asking them, you know, about their lives. But, but not just, you know, for, to make chit-chat, but because they want to get to know them. So that they know how to pray for them and how to think about how could they can encourage them towards love and good works. And as the weeks go on, they realize, well, every time I come, you know, I'm getting challenged, I'm getting encouraged, I'm getting lifted up, and people have words, even prophetic words from God for me. Wow, you know, that's encouraging. I walked out of there with, I walk out of there every time with a spring in my step. I mean, who would not want to be part of a community like that? Who wouldn't want to be part of a community like that? And that is the kind of community that we, at least to some extent, are, and that more and more, hopefully, we are becoming. An intentional community, a transformative community, an encouraging community. Found this little picture on the internet. I encourage. What's your superpower? <laughs> so here's our homework for the week. Take 10 to 15 minutes before your small group meeting or whatever other meeting this week and consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds by encouraging one another. That's the one thing I want you to do this week. Just that. Just that one thing. Even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes, I want you to take time before we gather together. I want us to take time to really consider, to think about, to meditate about. Think about the person. Think about their strengths and their weaknesses. I mean, we so often, as human beings, we tend to naturally do this. Because our weaknesses trip us up so often, we tend to focus on that. And we, we often forget to realize that the flip side of our weakness is also a strength. So if I'm thinking about Herman, let's use Herman as an example. When I'm thinking about Herman. You know, Her, those of you who know Herman, he's a very straight guy and he's a very intense guy. Now, I, I think of him a lot like, like probably like the Apostle Paul was, you know, very intense, very zealous, you know. And, and that intensity is both one of his greatest strengths and one of his greatest weaknesses. But he's going to be tempted to focus on the weakness side of it in his humanity. Say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm too intense. You know, I'm too hard on people. You know, and people don't always like that. Now, I come across as a bit too hard or something like that. And, and, and then he needs to be encouraged and say, but Herman, your intensity, the intensity with which you pray, the intensity with which you exhort us, that, that is a blessing to us. It inspires us. Because he needs to see that his intensity, the strength side of it, God uses it more than the devil can use the weakness side of it. He needs to hear that. And if you've been praying for him, thinking about it, and then praying for him, and seeing God's heart for you, seeing but, but God has called you, and he's busy raising you up more and more as a leader, and you're going to help change this nation. And you can encourage him with that. It's going to bless his heart. And if you can be encouraged in the same way around your strengths and weaknesses, it's going to bless you. Morning, church. I was in Cape Town for two weeks and I missed the family so much. Benjamin decided not to have his normal routine last night. Um, we had my sister-in-law staying over, so he decided to party in the middle of the night. And I was so tired this morning, but I just, I said to Stefan, we have to come. And I actually had a testimony to share beforehand, but I, I just, I understand now why. Um, yeah, just an example of this. At 
the, the community aspect, even in, in a marriage. Um, Steph, at our wedding, um, our, the word to us was in Matthew 10 where he's, he sends out the 12 and he says, um, go and raise the dead, heal the sick, you know, all that type of thing. And then he says, do not take anything with you, you know, be ready to go. And it was just something that God has often spoken to us about. If our bags packed and ready to go, if we need to go, but are we willing to be planted where we're supposed to be planted? Long story short, most of you know we've been looking for a house, and it went from buying a house to God saying, just wait, you know, the time's not right for that, we're going to rent a house, and we were not finding this house, and I left for Cape Town on the 4th of Feb, and the day before, we still didn't have a place, and um, I started getting a bit nervous, and I said, eventually, I just broke out <laughs> in tears, and I said to Stefan, because he kept on saying, God will provide, and, like, and I said to him, it's not that God won't provide, I know he'll provide, but I I'm now a mom, and now I don't know where Benjamin's going to sleep next month. We've got three weeks, and we don't have a place yet. And he just, in that same sense of provoking, in a sense, and encouraging me, he said to me, do you want your five million rand, ho- five million rand house and your white picket fence? And this is always something, it's a, it's a cliche thing that we do. You know, it's a, for, for me, it's like, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, there's a time for that. But for me, it's also, that's not what God has for us now. So it would be settling for me. And I just said to, you know, he said, remember, God has called us, you know, to go, you know. And, and I realized in my heart, I'd got to a place of, I don't want to go. Like, I just want to settle. I just want my safety and I want my comfort zone and I want all of that. And I just went into my inner room that night and I just repented. And I just said, Lord, I will go where you want to send me. You know, take us, let the kingdom be. I don't want to settle. And we found the house the next day. And it's just like, you know, (laughs) it's just a place where, where God, you know, even in a marriage, we need to encourage each other and remind each other of the words and the prophecies that God has called us to. And, um, and one last thing is there's a, there's a speaker in America and, he, and in his a prophetic teaching class, the one girl, um, would go around and ask everyone, what are the promises of your life? You know, what are, and he was like, this girl's, you know, why, why is she asking this question? And he asked her, he said, why do you do that? And he says, because I want to start treating them the way God and heaven sees them instead of the way I think I should see them. Yeah, and that's just something that, um, yeah. I mean, when we encourage one another, or we, let me put it this way, we encourage one another best when we see one another through God's eyes. When we see one another as God sees us in Christ. And when we speak that over one another. And, and some of you are sitting here this morning, and you are discouraged. Some of you, it's, it's like right in front of your faces, the discouragement, because there's just... So much going wrong. There's so much that, that feels like it's not working out the way it's supposed to. You know, like, like Lauren was sharing about the house. And for other, it's, others of, of you, it's, it's a more low-level discouragement. You're just tired. You've been doing your best. You've been trying hard. You know, things are just tough. And, and it's not as in your face and as immediate, but, but there's this low-level, deep, discouragement and tiredness you know that is in danger of going over to despair and i really believe that god wants to encourage you this morning god wants to encourage you this morning 